We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the lands which Deep Herd operates. Welcome back to the Grains Convo podcast, brought to you by the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development in Western Australia. I'm Cindy Webster. And I'm Jeanette Pratt, and we are research scientists based in regional WA. These episodes shine a spotlight on the knowledge and tools developed by Deeper to grow the grains industry. In that newsletter, we have a number of maps throughout the season that can give information. So rainfall to date map, which will show, and decil maps to show if you're tracking what decil you're tracking at. Also soil water map. So a soil water map at the moment is actually indicating there's quite dry for the northern grain belt and they missed out on a bit of rain. And also things like potential yield maps frost and heat occurrence map so it maps current conditions and just provides a sort of a consensus and a very easy to read summary of what next three months will look like. In today's episode I'm talking with Deep Herd Research Scientist Dr Meredith Guthrie and Bureau of Meteorology Senior Meteorologist Jonathan Howe about their respective climate tools and how growers can use them to make decisions throughout the season. Welcome Meredith and Jonathan. G'day Jeanette. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you both on the Grains Convo podcast. So before we dive in, I'd love to know a little bit more about you both and how you got into studying climate. Meredith, can you give us a brief introduction to yourself? Um, Yes, Jeanette. I started with Deep Herd back in 2003 and I was looking at decision support tools and over that time it's sort of just come into now I talk about climate as well. So it's been a bit of a, a learning curve for me, but I've been under the guidance of Dr. Ian Foster and it's been very helpful. So you've been looking at climate tools for a very long time. You started in 2003, but when did you start looking at the climate side of things, Meredith? I suppose after Dr. David Stevens left the department in about war. 2013 that's when I really started to look at climate and also we had quite a bad drought over here in 2006 and 2007 and that's I guess that's when we started putting together all the small climate tools and looking at climate models for our part of the world back then. And Jonathan how about yourself? Yeah, so um, I've been a meteorologist with the Bureau of Meteorology for about 10 years now. Did the graduate course back in 2014 and then cut my teeth in the Perth forecasting office, forecasting initially for all the different aerodromes and airports around the state. So 40 to 50 odd, doing that for a number of years and also working in the public weather space and doing um, public weather forecasting and warnings and then moved on to the kind of media and communication side of things. So I've been doing that for um, the last five, five or six years or so. So yeah, I've always had an interest in meteorology. I think when you speak to meteorologists, we tend to fall into one or two camps. There's the ones who've been interested in weather and climate from a very young age, and that's myself. And there's the others who really only fell into it at university level, really fell in love with forecasting and just how the atmosphere and climate works. So yeah, I work with a really great bunch of really passionate uh, forecasters and communicators. And now I've recently joined the Bureau's Decision Support Agriculture team. It's a brand new startup team. We've been funded to really help our farmers make critical decisions throughout the year. And so we're really looking forward to seeing what we can do in the coming future. So you've both got a lot of experience in the climate area and that's where we're going to talk about today. 
Now, I figured a good place to start would be where we get our WA-specific information. So, Meredith, can you talk to us a little bit about the DPIRD weather stations and any others that are used in the state? Uh, sure, Jeanette. So the DPIRD weather station network became operational in 1983 with the opening of the Jeremunga weather station, and now we have 191 stations in the southwest land division. And these were included, so we've got weather stations in paddocks, not necessarily in post offices, and these are automatic, so we get up-to-the-minute data. So as well as the ones we have, we also host 94 automatic stations from the Bureau of Meteorology, 17 from the Department of Biosecurity, Conservation and Attractions, five from Harvey Water, five from DFES, three from the Water Corp and one at Pardu Beef Station, which just a couple of weeks ago recorded winds of 140 kilometres an hour before it got taken out by tropical cyclone Ilsa. So with the inclusion of the Bureau of Meteorology Doppler radars, we have a great weather station network that covers all of the Southwest Land Division and all this information is accessible from the Agric Weather um, website and also it is included on the Services WA app. So if you click on the Services WA app on your phone, there's actually a link to our weather station. So these weather station network, like I said, gives up up-to-minute data and it should be in an area located near your farm and it gives services such as temperature and also spray conditions, whether or not the spray conditions are preferable for you based on dew point and wind speed. Now, I understand when it comes to creating climate forecasts, there's different models that can be used. Jonathan, what's the BOM access model and how's that different to some of the other key models that are out there? So access is definitely a word that you hear a lot in the world of weather and climate models. It's actually an acronym. It stands for the Australian Community Climate and Earth System Simulator. So a bit of a bit of a mouthful, but what it is, is the Bureau of Meteorology's weather and climate forecasting tool. So take a, I thought I'd take a, a bit of a step back and talk about what a model actually is. So a model, when we talk about this, is basically a tool that's used by forecasters and climatologists to calculate how the weather and climate might change over time. So In order to do this, it simulates the atmosphere. So everything from winds, clouds, rain, as well as the land, the sea and the sea ice and all the interactions between them to basically look forward and timescales up to an hour or even months and years and even decades ahead as well. So to do this, it divides the domain up, so in this case Australia, into grid boxes both horizontally and vertically, so in that kind of 3D scale. And for each grid box, it uses observations and uh, current or initial conditions and puts these into very complex equations and calculates everything from temperature, humidity, rainfall and wind for each grid box. So the access model has a number of different resolution scales. Access models are based on models from the United Kingdom and we have different resolutions as I mentioned. So uh, the smaller scale we've got are the Access C models. These are one with a 4 by 4 kilometer grid, so very, very fine detail. These can pick up even individual storms in some cases. The next step up is Access R or Access Regional. This is a 12 kilometer grid and it's more for kind of state-based forecasting. The next step up is Access G or Access Global. This is a 25 kilometer grid, more useful for forecasting kind of state-based and kind of um, Australia-wide. And then the 
largest resolution we have is the Axis S or Axis Seasonal Model, which is a 60-kilometer grid. And this is the one we use for forecasting on timescales of more than one month or even kind of a couple of months and seasonal as well. And this is where we've put a lot of kind of funding and effort into kind of creating better tools for, for farmers uh, in t- that kind of seasonal scale. So the main difference from the Australian model compared to the other international models like the European, the American or Japanese model is that the Access model has been developed and tested by Australians for Australians. So the first Access model was released back in 2018. And since then, we have a second update, Access S2, which takes the original model and basically has um, much enhanced capabilities in terms of better initializing conditions and also takes to cut greenhouse gas emissions as well. So that will also play a part in this new model's forecasting. So models get better over time. The Access model is just in its second iteration, already plans being made for Access S3 and yeah, some really, really intelligent people here at the Bureau. We're doing that kind of research and improvements over time and we use the supercomputer called the Australis, one of the fastest computers in the country to do these billions and trillions of calculations every day. So that's a bit of a background to XSS and um, yeah, some really great tools available out of this seasonal model. How does that access model inform the tools that BOM's got available? Yeah, so the access S model has a number of main products. So as a first kind of tier, we have rainfall and temperature outlooks. Second tier, we do have the kind of significant climate drivers, things like El Nino and La Nina, kind of simulating those sorts of things. And the third tier, we have uh, looking at ocean temperatures, in particular in relation to coral bleaching risks. So these models are run pretty much every day. Uh, it's, it's quite a I guess quite a technical kind of way that it does it, but it uses, it basically runs 99 different times um, in order to produce these, what we call ensembles. And what we, what we do get are basically the mean or the median of these ensemble members to give a prediction. So what you see on, on our website, for example, under long range forecast is what the ensemble kind of mean is, but it is also useful to look at the high end and the low end range to kind of give you an idea of the range of different scenarios, a kind of worst case scenario as well. So what it does is it takes all these different observations. So anything from rain gauges um, and weather stations puts it into the model, and then does a forward-looking prediction of what we can expect in terms of temperature, rainfall, and those kinds of extremes over the next week to kind of couple of months' time scale. So Access is a dynamical model, so it's always undergoing continuous research and improvement, and we have seen quite huge leaps and bounds over the last um, couple of years as well. So yeah, that's a bit of a background about how we produce this um, Access output. We're going to move on to the climate forecast themselves now. Meredith, DPIRD has a monthly outlook that it puts out. Can you tell us a little bit about that outlook? Sure, Jeanette. So we have the DPIRD Seasonal Climate Outlook. So it's a monthly newsletter and it provides information from 20 different models, including the Bureau's access model. So it sort of collates lots of information and puts it in a format that it's farmer-friendly. And also in that newsletter, we have a number of maps throughout the season that can give information. So rainfall to date map, which will show, and decil maps to show if you're tracking what decil you're tracking at. Also soil water map. So a soil water map at the moment is actually indicating there's quite dry for the northern grain belt and they missed out on a bit of rain. And also things like potential yield maps, frost and heat occurrence map so it maps current conditions and just provides a sort of a consensus and a very easy to read summary of what this next three months will look like and what climate drivers are have in store for the future rainfall as well and so what's the best way that growers can use those tools that deep putting out to make decisions on farm 
Well, the best way, I guess, is just to have a read and to see if you can understand the climate drivers that are influencing your rainfall and temperature and what's to think about in the future. Assess your own conditions. Do, you know, the soil water map, is that right for you? Do you actually have a little bit more soil water than the map is indicating or do you have a stored soil water in there? Should you start seeding based on the forecast to come? And just sort of just have a read and have a think and have a chat. And it's always, you know, if you need to come and have a speak to me about it, I'm always happy to come and talk to you or have a chat over the phone about what these things are. It's only, I guess, I suppose it's just another tool in the toolkit, but because it's a consensus, it's sort of a very good summary of what's what's out there. At university and even at the Bureau, we learn that climate is what we expect, but weather is what we get. So just kind of having that in mind that expectation doesn't always match reality. So it is important to keep an eye on the forecasts for your area and have them in back in the back of your mind uh, while also kind of doing future planning as well. In terms of these monthly outlooks, is there particular months of the year that the accuracy of these outlooks is better? Yes. So we have a thing called the autumn predictability barrier and Jonathan will probably know more about this than me, but this is an, a time of the year when the climate drivers, so the El Nino Southern Oscillation, so what's happening in the Pacific and also the Indian Ocean Dipole, so what's happening in the Indian Ocean Dipole, they're sort of at a, they're coming out of phase. So in autumn, the models of the skill are quite poor because all the climate drivers are coming out of phase and they haven't picked up. The best time of year for the models uh, is during winter time because that's when we have our winter cold fronts that are, are pretty easy to forecast and they're not, they're a, like a, a slow developing system that the dynamical models can pick up on quite easily. So that's when winter time is the best time for these uh, models to work. Obviously, summertime is quite a poor skill as well because we get localised storms and thunderstorms that aren't really picked up by a dynamical model so far in lead time. So, yes, winter time is the best skill and autumn's the worst skill, if that answers your question, Jeanette. Yeah, thank you. That is good. I know that is a question that growers quite often have is about the accuracy of these um, forecasts. So, Jonathan, we know that BOM has its own long-term seasonal outlook. Can you tell us a little bit about that and any of your other tools that farmers could possibly use from, from the BOM website? Yeah, that's right. So, on the Bureau's website, we do have long-range forecasts, um, which are produced by the XSS model. So, if you've ever been to the website, you'll be fairly familiar with those brown maps that show the chance of above-median rainfall and also other maps looking at temperature and also kind of yeah, lo- the long-range long, long range forecast. But um, the XSS model has also produced quite a number of, few, uh, new, of new tools that can be used now. So, the reason behind it was that we realised that Australia has an extremely variable climate and even though we do a forecast within the next 7 to 10 days, there's not really anything that can provide people with a more of a heads up of what's coming in the next couple of weeks to even months as well in terms of any kind of heat waves or heavy rainfall events. So this new this project called Forewarn is Forearmed was managed by Meat and Livestock Australia and what it did was use the Access, Access S model to produce new maps that would really help farmers make these decisions um, out on the land. So thinking for example across uh, Western Australia with grain growers, some of the uh, kind of questions or some of the kind of things that could help, for example, if, um, during the harvest season, if you are looking for any particular heat wave coming up with it, which might impact um, the fire risk, you can certainly look at some of those maps to kind of make a decision 
for harvesting or even things like sowing, um, sowing, even spreading fertilizer if there's heavy rain coming up as well. You have a bit of a heads up for what's coming through for that. So on the Bureau's website, just under the climate page, you will see if you head there quite a few number of maps that show, for example, the chance of seeing extreme temperatures over the next fortnight to next number of months as well, as well as the chance of seeing abnormally low temperatures or normally high temperatures. So this is just another tool in the toolbox that farmers can use to help make those decisions when it comes to those critical times of the year. So uh, there's quite a few number of maps uh, have been produced as a result of this forewarned forearm project. So it's no secret that farmers quite often get frustrated when the outlooks turn out to be wrong. Can you explain to us what the limitations of the outlooks are and why they sometimes change so quickly in a short space of time? That's exactly right. I think um, as many will appreciate, you know, weather and climate forecasting is it can be quite fickle and it is an imperfect science. So the models do their best to simulate what conditions uh, could be. But of course, the models themselves do have the limitations. So one of the biggest limitations is that speaking with Access S, the 60-kilometre grid, if you're trying to represent everything within that 60-kilometre grid as the one kind of point, you can you can run into some um, some trouble there. So although it does generally do the job, it can be a bit of a generalisation. So thinking about Southwest WA, um, you know, looking from Meriden to Bedellin, it's fairly similar landscape. So you can get away with a 60-by-60-kilometre 60 60 grid. But for example, the further south you go, you know, Albany, 60 kilometers up to the Stirling Ranges, there's huge elevation change and vegetation change. And trying to represent that whole area as one grid point probably won't do as good as good a job. So certainly keeping that in mind that the resolution of this global, this Axis S model um, can be quite coarse and so it won't represent everything. For example, thunderstorms can't re- be represented as well. And we did see an example previously um, last month, Tropical Cyclone Ilsa. The Axis S model didn't do a very good job of representing this just because it's known that these long-range models don't always pick up these individual tropical cyclones. And so even a week out, even t- um, a couple of days out, it wasn't doing that well, didn't quite pick up that sort of um, those smaller scale weather features. But I guess also, as you mentioned before, Meredith, also times of the year can impact the accuracy of the outlook. So at this time of year, April, May, we do run into this autumn predictability barrier. And that's because we're coming out of the summer and uh, in that very kind of neutral phase in terms of climate drivers. So it does take a little bit longer for the climate climate and ocean to sink up again and then for the models to produce a bit more of an accurate forecast. So heading into winter, we do see seasonal forecast accuracies improve, but at the moment, they don't do the best job. And certainly looking at the month of April, if, if you looked at the April rainfall forecast across WA in the last week of March, it was showing pretty much the entire state as brown. That's, a, that's indicating that the most of the state would have had below average rainfall. But of course, what we saw in reality was quite different to that. Uh, the model did pretty pretty well across uh, up towards Geraldton. Um, it did, of course, Geraldton only received three millimetres for the month of April, so very much below average in line with the forecast. But what we did see was that the further south you did go, particularly places like Cunnerdon, Meriden, and even further south, it was much wetter than usual. So the model didn't quite get it right. And that's an example of how um, you know a thunderstorm outbreak or a certain weather event can kind of flip everything on its head and means that the model doesn't do as good a job. So if you do go to the website as well, you can actually look at climate accuracy maps. And what it does, it shows you what percentage of time in the past it has gotten it right. At this time of year across Western and Southern WA, the model gets it right about 55 to 65% of the time. So about two thirds of the time it gets it right. But then that does mean that a third of the time he gets does get it wrong. We do see that accuracy up, um, pick up a little bit into winter, but certainly 
good to have that in mind when looking at some of these climate tools that um, there is a bit of a predictability barrier and also it just doesn't get it right all the time. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So we're coming into May and, of course, all growers want to know what are the outlooks telling us for this season um, and what it's going to look like for the WA cropping area. Meredith, we'll start with you. What is DPIRD saying for the outlook for this year? Thanks, Jeanette. So the seasonal climate outlook for May was published yesterday, so it's available on our website. And from that, we can see that 16 of the 20 international models that I look at are all saying that the next three months are going to be below average. It's also suggesting the Bureau survey a couple of models and they're they're suggesting that we might be in for El Nino and that might develop as early as June. Now, El Ninos for Western Australia think, oh, it doesn't really affect us much as well as Eastern states, but it does. And it also, the Bureau is also suggesting from the models that they survey that an, a positive Indian Ocean dipole might develop as well as early as in June. Now, Indian Ocean dipole, positive one, you might think that means it's positive for us. It's actually the reverse. So if there's a positive Indian Ocean dipole, it means there's cooler waters north of us and warmer waters west of Africa. So that creates a dipole and that means there's less moisture in the, the sea surface temperatures so we will get less rainfall. So together, an El Nino and a positive Indian Ocean dipole together will mean a reduced rainfall for winter spring for us here in the Southwest Land Division. Now, the last time that happened was 2015. Now, in 2015, we only recorded 15 million tonnes of wheat for WA, so it was a below-average harvest. So if those two things happen together, we might be in for a drier year. But um, as Jonathan did suggest, skill of models is also, it's a little bit early to say, so just keep watching this space and watching what the Bureau put out and also keep reading the Seasonal Climate Outlook and we have to hopefully update that. So at the moment, it's not looking like a fantastic year and after coming from two very wet La Nina years, I think we are due for an El Nino. So what month would we be looking at for that greater skill? Would that would be the outlook that comes out in June? That's correct. So they would have more skill in June. I know sometimes that's a little bit late because farmers have already seeded. I also know reports I've heard that they're sort of pulling back on canola up north and they're changing it to barley because they've had a, a, a dry start. So, we yeah, so June would be to one to watch, so sort of maybe play the season now just and and also it's not going to be like the last two really wet years for us so you have to be just be a little bit cautious this year and that outlook comes out at the beginning of every month yes it does okay thank you and jonathan what is the bureau's model saying for this year so very similar to what Meredith was saying is that at this stage, the Bureau is expecting that for not just Western Australia, but most of Australia, we are entering quite a dry period. The chance of exceeding median rainfall looks to be less than 40% for most of the country, but then certainly for southwestern parts of WA. So really anywhere looking to be yeah, through the great southern central wheat belt, also down towards the south coast, looking to be particularly dry heading over the next few months. Importantly, it doesn't mean that the rain will stop completely. Uh, even looking at the next seven to ten days there are a number of uh, rainfall events coming to western wa but what it means is that we are expecting to see fewer rainfall events 
And each time you get a rainfall event uh, to be less produced. So, of course, for Western and Southern WA, there is a bit of a heavy reliance on the wintertime cold fronts coming through. Uh, More likely than not, probably going to see fewer cold fronts and these cold fronts will produce less rainfall. Uh, But of course, keeping in mind, of course, the outlook accuracy at this time of year. And we will have a better idea um, in the next outlook and certainly as we head into the winter period as well. And also, as Meredith mentioned, uh, the last time we did see uh, an El Nino event across Australia was 2015. And that particular year was very dry across WA uh, with areas pretty much south of Durian Bay and then across over to Cundedon and south towards Albany, seeing below to very much below average rainfall. But there were pockets of above average rainfall through some parts of the southwest of the state. So the important message for that is that at this stage, the Bureau is at El Nino Watch, uh, and it, but it is important to remember that every El Nino is different and El Nino doesn't guarantee drought. So it is important that over the next few months, just keep an eye on you know the usual kind of channels that you do have looking at the next um, next week of rainfall. But certainly, if you can, log into the Bureau's website and check out some of these longer range tools to kind of see what's expected in your area. Yeah, okay. Thanks for that, Jonathan. We've talked about the immediate future and what's going to be what we're expecting for the growing season this year. I'd like to just cast a little bit of a glance further into the future. Meredith, DPIRD's been doing a lot of work looking at what the climate's going to look like in 2050. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's saying? Sure. So the Climate Services for Agriculture website is a website developed by the Bureau of Meteorology and CSIRO, and they use eight special global climate models specifically chosen for Australia. And from this website, I've been able to get climate projections for the future for 2030 and 2050 for 507 stations. And so the data that I've got from those that website I've mapped, been able to map, and these maps are available on the Agric website. And so they've sort of looked at what the future climate of Southwest Land Division will look like under high and low greenhouse gas emissions. And it's a little bit scary. So we know we've going to we've already had a declining rainfall here in the southwest since the mid-70s. And under the future projections, this will set to continue. And also temperature is going to be more of a problem. I think it's going to get a lot warmer and a lot earlier in the season. So these maps are available to look at. And the best way to look at them is to think that the RCP, so that's a representative concentration pathway of 4.5 greenhouse gas emissions, is where we're currently heading. So that's medium greenhouse gas emissions. So look at those ones. The RCP 8.5 maps, they're the worst case scenario. So that's what would happen if we didn't do anything about our greenhouse gas emissions, if there was no mitigation or adaption. So have a look at the RCP 4.5 ones and just look in your area. We know it's going to be drier and warmer in the future, but we've already had adapting. We've already adapting to climate change since the mid-70s. So hopefully we'll have a lot of technologies and varieties and things to keep in place for us to adapt to a drying climate. Thanks for that, Meredith. I'd like to say thanks to Meredith and Jonathan for coming on and giving up your time today. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the year and the season turns out to be a lot better than what the models are currently predicting. Thanks, Jeanette. Thanks, Jeanette. More information on this topic can be found in the show notes. If you like this episode, you can download and subscribe to Grains Convo on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
We'll be back on the 1st and 15th of every month with a new episode. Thanks for listening.